0: we need to, at the start of our journey this afternoon, remind ourselves that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of our lives. The title of our series here at the 230 throughout March is Christian Witness, Engagement and Action. So it's not just about us thinking about evangelism, it's about us doing evangelism, amen? And so we need to move beyond being simple witnesses of the gospel to actually doing evangelism. Evangelism is not a lifestyle, it's not an event. It's not something that we give periodic attention to it at Christmas or at Easter or other moments of our life when we feel that sense from the Holy Spirit to reach out. Evangelism is our lifestyle. It needs to be built into every aspect and part of our lives. And so I want us to remain mindful of that as we begin our journey together because otherwise the danger is that we spend our lives as Christians talking about evangelism, but never actually going and doing it. Now, you might sit here or be watching online today and say, well, you know, Scott, actually, I'm not called to be a roving evangelist. Fine, no problem. I won't question you on that. But you are called to be evangelistic. If you're a son or a daughter of the most high God, by definition, you are evangelistic in your heart and in your nature. You're not disqualified simply because you don't feel that your primary ministry is that of an evangelist. You can be evangelistic in every context, every environment that you find yourself in. And there is no hiding place for us on this today. We need to break out the chains of limitation that can hold us back. The attitudes that we can adopt where we don't believe that we are qualified. We don't believe that we have sufficiency or understanding of scripture. We don't believe that we have the divine opportunities. We don't consider ourselves worthy to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because either we're going to embrace this wholeheartedly in our lives or what we will end up doing is saying that it is the responsibility of the local church, the local pastor, the guy next to you to do the work of an evangelist and yet it sits and resides with you. That's not up for debate. What is up for debate is whether or not you believe that and that emerges from what is ultimately in our hearts because if we don't evangelize, can I make a really awkward comment? we probably don't love the people that we're called to evangelize enough. Sobering thought, but that's our reality. And so the more that we step into our personal walk and journey with Jesus, evangelism is going to be a natural overflow. The Bible speaks about it so clearly, so eloquently, right through scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. We see the fruits of that. The moment you discover your true identity and value in Christ, you begin to move towards it with confidence and clarity. And so I'm very specific with the title of my sermon this afternoon. It is fruitfulness through friendship, not productivity, fruitfulness. One time in one translation of scripture, Jesus uses the word productivity or produce everywhere else. He talks about fruit, which means that we are called to bear fruit, which means we must develop a heart and a mindset of being fruitful Christians in every aspect and area of our lives. Otherwise, we ultimately will lose hope and we will lose focus. Now, fruitfulness with God is a direct result of the intimacy, the health, the the joy, and the strength of our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because we are his vessels, called to do those good works, called to fulfill the gospel that he has asked us to share, which means our hearts need to cry out for the glory of God to manifest in every single arena, every conversation, every room, every context that we step in, we are God's vessel in that moment, which means that each and every one of us here in the building, watching online, you have a significant purpose. Don't let anything or anyone tell you otherwise. Because when we bear fruit for God, we are ultimately honouring and glorifying God in our lives. But we are also demonstrating a willingness to partner with Him in the Great Commission. And that Great Commission cannot be fulfilled unless we choose to intentionally demonstrate Christ. To others. And so I want to set a little bit of context for us before we explore the main portion of scripture in our time together. Think about the friends that you have. They'll probably be different to me. Some of them may be the same. Think about those people in your life that you know right now, today, do not know Christ. What are you doing to reach them? What strategies are you developing? What's your prayer life like when you want to connect with them? Are you being intentional? Are you being consistent? If I was to phone one of them right now and say, hey, let's pick someone, David, how is he reaching out to you? Would they even recognize that you are actually trying to reach them with the good news of the gospel? Or are we too flimsy? Are we too standoffish? Are we too fearful in what they might say in our response? I want us to explore briefly. You can turn in your Bibles uh, to John 15, verses four and five. It's a good portion of scripture we know all about. Jesus being the vine and we are ultimately the branches. But it's verses four and five, briefly, that I want us to uh, consider in our time together this afternoon. I'm reading from the ESV translation Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, the contrast cannot be more stark for us this afternoon. We can either bear much fruit or we bear nothing. There is no middle ground. There is no extenuating circumstances. There are no get out clauses. That is our reality. And so a question for you this afternoon, do you want to bear much fruit or do you want to bear nothing? And so when we abide in the Father, abiding is more than just having a connection. It's more than just having a relationship. Abiding is where you dwell. It's where you set up residence. It's where your heart ultimately resides. It's in those moments that you're able to download what and who God has called you to reach. And it's in those moments we ultimately then get to bear the fruit. Because fruit ultimately represents the heart and life of every single believer. Jesus doesn't even make a suggestion. Think about bearing fruit or you should bear fruit or you ought to bear fruit. He guarantees it. He says you will bear, quote, much fruit. So there's certainty. There's a cast iron guarantee attached to the fact that if we abide in God, that we will bear much fruit in our lives. It's a singular command for us, which means that fruit bearing will always be a natural overflow and outworking in our lives. There's no escaping that reality. We can only bear fruit for him when we abide in him. There is no other context that, Paul, uh, that we can explore here today. And so what is fruit? Well, I would like to think that before we can actually reach out, before we can effectively evangelize, before we can connection, intentionally connect with people, we need to have the heart of God. And Paul captures what that is in Galatians 5, verses 25 and 26. We know this portion of Scripture well. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, Paul declares, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Until we bear that type of fruit, there will be no fruit in our wider ministry in our lives, in the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel. And we have that fruit because the Holy Spirit ultimately lives inside of us, which means self-effort, personal willpower, and striving for perfection will not generate any fruit of any value or substance. We never bear fruit in and of ourselves. And that's why I think most evangelists are frustrated, because they set out all these goals, all these strategies, all these agendas, And I wonder how much of it God is actually involved in. Because if God is involved in it, you're gonna bear much fruit, not even just a portion or some, you will bear much fruit. And I think we need to develop and enhance our style of evangelism so that we can more intentionally connect, connect with the people in this world that are ultimately hurting from our lives. And so if you're watching here today or you're here in the building and you are unsure what God has called you to do, let me help you. I don't care whether you're a pastor I'm not interested if you're an evangelist. I don't care if you're a prophet, an apostle, a teacher. Let me tell you where God has called you to. He has called you to the harvest field, every single one of us. And it is going to take every single one of us if we wanna fulfill the great commission in our lives. And so do not disqualify yourself because you don't think you have the boldness to stand on a street corner and proclaim the gospel. There are many ways, many strategies which we're going to get to in a moment in where Paul shows us three or four different types of people that we can intentionally connect to in our own lives. And it was as applicable in that day when he was speaking to the church at Corinth as it is for us today here in the 21st century Western world. If you are serious and you are steadfast in your desire to bear fruit, one of the best prayers you can pray is in Colossians 1 verses 9 and 10. Paul again speaking. And so from the day We heard, we have not ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with His will and knowledge, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Which means that God has plans and uses for our lives. When we abide in God, fruitfulness is guaranteed flow and when we discover and we follow his plan he will use our gifts he will use every talent every ability that he has placed inside of us to extend his kingdom and so now I want us to read the main portion of our scripture together which is 1 Corinthians 9 we're going to be reading verses 19 through 23 1 Corinthians 9 verses 19 through 23 I'm reading the ESV translation not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in those blessings verse 23 captures Paul's desire and focus around verses 19 through 22, which means here we have to develop spiritual maturity in our evangelism, in our connection with other people, which means we also need to think about adaptability. And I think now more than ever, we need to adapt our strategies of how we witness to people. There's a great quote you can witness to people without even using words just in your service, in your labour of love, in how you choose to connect to people. And I think we need to explore the type of friendships that we've got, the type of people, the divine encounters that God has already put in front of us and ask ourselves the questions, what are we doing to reach those that God has put in our care? Let's remember that Christ himself came to earth. He died, he suffered. He went through all of it. He served humanity. Paul uses essentially very, very similar styles and thoughts here he tells us that he we have to give up our default approaches our personal preferences and our christian comforts for one thing and one thing only that we might lead some we might be able to lead some to the lord jesus christ that's the overarching focus of the church that's the whole mission of every church right is to be, go out and make disciples to go out and win the lost to to help the hurting, to pick up the brokenhearted, to serve the widow and the orphan, to reach every person that we could possibly reach with the good news of the gospel. Our mandate here in KT is London and the world for Christ. I mean, it's a mission statement. and, And that cannot be fulfilled as part of the overall greater commission if we don't evangelize. So I want us to remember that you are a willing servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do nothing in and of yourself And I think that's why many of us as believers are discouraged and despondent in our witness because we try and do it in our own strength. We try and orchestrate strategies and plans and then invite God to get involved in that. Our evangelism has to have a purpose. It cannot simply be that we evangelize and then walk away. Authentic and fruitful evangelism will always emerge out of the freedom, out of the joy, out of the experiences that we have received and we embrace and enjoy in our own personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to be clear, every one of us are called to be evangelistic, amen? We're all called to use all the skill sets, all the tools, all the giftings that God has given us to extend his kingdom. So I want us to identify the the four areas, uh, the four different types of people rather, that Paul addresses in this portion of scripture. Number one is people from our own context and our own culture. He says, to the Jews, I become a Jew in order to win Jews, which means this should be our default group of people, the people that are like you, the people that you hang out with, the people you work with, the people you live next to, the people near you, the people that you enjoy so many similar um, ideas and aspects of life and all that emerges as a result of that. That is your default group of people. And this was super easy for Paul because he spoke their language. He understood their culture. He knew their traditions. He knew everything about them. And therefore, that's why I believe he listed them first because it's like, this is the easiest group of people for me to reach. That should be the same for us, which means by default, a lot of the barriers a lot of the the, 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 the obstacles that can be erected in people's lives in that moment are already dismantled because they already connect with you. They look at you and they hear from you and you've got a similar heart, you've got a similar focus, you've got a similar outlook. There's so many different areas where there's overlap. And I think that that should be your primary and prioritized harvest field. Start there. It's the first first group of people that Paul identifies. But here's a question for your consideration. Who are the people from your context and culture today? What qualities and attributes do you have that can help meaningfully connect them with the gospel? You know, when I think about my own life, I've got lots of friends that I used to go to school with that don't know Jesus. And you know, they're not even vaguely interested in getting to know Jesus, but they are always interested in my story. They are always interested in what I'm doing, why I do what I do, why I have the conviction and the commitment attached to what I do and that is my road in yes we went to the same schools we grew up in the same areas there's lots of overlap and you know some of them work in parliament some of them are big you know work in big financial institutions earn lots of money but there's an opportunity there to in- connect meaningfully and intentionally and here's the reality every time that you witness Your biggest value, the most important currency that you need to possess is integrity and credibility. There can be no gap between what we're trying to present to them and what we subsequently live in our own lives. They need to know that what we say we live out, we actually live out. Because otherwise, when it comes to the point where you want to share the truth with them, they're going to go, hang on a minute, what you say is X and what you deliver is X minus a whole lot. And it's in those moments that we have to choose credibility, which means that our lives have to reflect the gospel. I mean, Paul declares it in, in 1 Philippians 27, live a life worthy of the gospel. So whether I'm absent or present and I come and see what you're doing, I can see what you're up to. I can see your heart. I can see your motivation. And I think that's an area that we subsequently lack in. Because I think sometimes we don't communicate well. We use the wrong language. We use the wrong narrative. We start from the wrong starting point. We start with things like you're a sinner in need of a savior. Yes and amen. Absolutely true. But I'd like to start somewhere else. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Hmm? That's a great starting point. That will, if you're trying to witness to me, I'm going to listen to you right there. A little bit more than if you start with my list of sins, of what you perceive my list of sins to be. Remember, the only Bible that some people will pick up is your story, which means your testimony has to be fresh. It has to be powerful. It has to be relevant and it has to be current. You can't sit and try and witness to your friends and talk about what God did in your life 20 years ago. And yet the irony is today, 18 years ago, I got saved. Praise God. But that's the reality, friends. We need to connect with people and meet them where they are. If you look at Jesus, everywhere he went, honestly, it's gotta be eight or nine times out of 10, he met them where they were. I can think of a handful of occasions. Sure, Bartimaeus, my favorite story in scripture, he called Bartimaeus to him. Well, he told his disciples to go and get Bartimaeus. But more often than not, he met them where they were. And you know the problem for us? We invite people to church and not Jesus. We invite them to a program and not his presence. And you know the problem attached to that? That you're going to have to keep inviting them to church and they're not going to know about Jesus. And then when you invite them to know Jesus, they're going to go, what? Who? No, 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 I I came to church with you. I'm doing my good Christian duty. If you make everything about programs, and I'm all for it, we need training programs, we need to be taught, we need to be discipled. I am 100% for that. But if that is our starting point, then you are going to have to continually produce programs. And you know what? The presence of God. Once they've experienced it themselves, they can't deny it. And that's the other problem we have as Christians. We are brilliant at explaining the gospel. We are brilliant at explaining who Jesus is. But what about inviting people to experience it for themselves? Because then they can never deny it. You know, that's one of the things I had when I was getting led to the Lord. The person that was leading me to the Lord was doing everything. I mean, they deserve huge credit. They put in some hard yards. But you know, when I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in my own life, I could not deny what had happened to me. It's so true and so personal for me in that moment. And that's how I made my declaration of faith in Christ. And so I think our language, I think our approach needs to change in these areas. Ultimately, Jesus is the answer, which means that faith and love that we possess in Christ has to be so compelling and so convincing that every single one of our friends know that there has to be at least a shred of truth in what we're choosing to live out. You wouldn't do it if there wasn't truth attached to it, which means we cannot compromise. We have to speak the truth, but speak it in love. What about the second group of people that he speaks to? People who don't have Jesus, but do have religion. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To win those under the law. Now we all know at least one person like that, right? (laughs) And if you don't, you will. Everybody knows someone. They can quote chapter and verse, but they don't have it in their heart. Yeah? And they're very good at quoting chapter and verse. And invariably, they'll quote it out of context to suit their own narrative and their own presentation to you. Well, those people also need to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And I think that this group of people that Paul is referring to, I think that represents the majority of the Christian Western world in today's society. We know all about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. You know, someone told me, A few weeks ago, this is the only book ever in the world where you need the author's presence in order to read it. Oof, can't take credit for that quote. I would love to. It's awesome. But think about that for a moment. We've got all this head knowledge, intellect over intimacy. Hmm, how's that working out? I think we need to get back to that place of being intimate with the Father. And that's what we need to invite people to in our own lives which means we always must demonstrate grace in those moments. Salvation has and will always be a free gift. It cannot be bargained with, it cannot be bought. It's open and available to every person. And so we have to help people understand that it is always relationship and not religion, which means they need to have that personal encounter for themselves. And so we have to dismantle the religious rhetoric and language and narrative that we can present as the church, as the body of believers, in order to better and meaningfully connect with people in those moments. What about the third group of people? 1 Corinthians 9, 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Basically, these are the people that have no religion and have no Jesus. Have you you got any friends who are atheists? I love atheists. They've got more faith than me, 100%. I love it. That's my opening comment. You've got more faith than me. And they look at me perplexed. And they're like, no, 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 you're a pastor. What do you mean? I said, if you, my friend, believe that this entire world just came from nothing, you have more faith than me. And it bamboozles them, but it starts a conversation because I meet them where they are in their belief. And I don't start by enforcing my belief. Rather than telling them that they're wrong, I need to show them how I'm also right. It doesn't work if you just do one side of the conversation. But also you'll find that you can enjoy a myriad of deep conversations with them because the unchurched have got questions. If you think about your friends in your life that aren't church, they have got questions about faith. They've got questions about the meaning of life. They're trying to understand their purpose, what they're called to do, who they're called to be, and they get to ask some of the most amazing questions. And I find that they are often the most receptive which means that they need to sense the conviction and the compassion in our heart as we communicate. Far too often as Christians, we see the unchurched as some sort of people group that we have to conquer. We have to to somehow uh, beat them. We have to knock down their arguments. We have to construct our own. We have to enforce our views. We have to quote chapter and verse for everything. And I think more often than not, we need to win the heart, not try and win the argument. But for that to be effective, we've got to already have the trust. We've already got to develop the friendship to a point where they're keen to hear what we have to say. We can't just explain the scriptures. We need to actually point them to the author of the scriptures. They need to know that we care, not just that we see them as a project, as something we have to conquer, as something we have to achieve. Are we truly interested in them and their journey, or do we simply see them? as a project. Now, I want to be clear, that's how I was one. My friend didn't see me as a project, he saw me as a person. With my challenges and my faults, my fears and my failures, my disappointments and my victories, he saw me not for who I was, but for who I had the potential to be in Christ. Which means he, you have to love me at that point, not at the present point. And too often, When we look at our unchurched friends, we see their biggest problem ahead of their potential. Oh, you know, he's so stubborn, man. He never listens to me. And we give up. And yet somebody didn't give up on you. That should lend perspective in how we choose to connect. No religious rhetoric, no nonsense, straight up, honest, direct, healthy conversations, cutting through church language. I'm praying for you, brother. Amen. You know, that type of language that we can use, get straight to the heart of the issue, which is the issue of the heart. What's going on inside that person? And the fourth group of people is that we need to minister to those that are struggling in fear. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, To the weak I became weak, so that I may win the weak. You know, I think when we think about believers, I think the biggest uh, 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 challenge for most of us is fear fear of disappointment, fear of being let down, fear of being rejected, and yet God knew that from the start. Think about the first human emotion. What was it? Fear, in the garden, fear that then led to shame. And I think that's the problem for most of us as Christians, is that we fear getting it wrong, We fear that they'll reject God. We'll fear that we won't say the right thing. We fear that we're not good enough. We fear that we don't have enough theology. We fear that we don't have enough influence. We fear that we don't trust God enough. We fear that our friends will reject us and block us on Facebook, all that jazz. And yet actually, when you move past that and relinquish the fear and embrace the faith that you have in Christ, you'll find much healthier, much better results. Because otherwise, we will never be free. We will never be free to fulfill the plan and purpose that I said at the start that we all have unless we are walking in the freedom that we have in Christ. We cannot settle for intermittent moments of freedom and wholeness. Some of us here have probably never, ever experienced the fullness, the capacity of God's love and freedom that is available and accessible to you. And so you're living with a diminished understanding of who you are in God. And therefore you live a life that is in line with that diminished understanding with God. You've got to rise above your inadequacies, move beyond your insecurities, lay down your inferiority complexes and embrace who you are in Christ. That God has a plan, God has a purpose. The people in your life, you and you alone are called to reach. And if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. And you cannot abdicate your responsibility And leave it to your cell leader or to the pastor of KT or to the pastoral team here in the church. It is your responsibility. And actually, when you embrace that responsibility and you start to partner with the Holy Spirit, you start to move forward in who you are as a child of the Most High God, you will start to see divine opportunities open before your very eyes. And then the question is obedience. Do you want to take the opportunities? And this is the other problem we have in our Christian witness. You know the phrase, friendship evangelism? It stays at friendship and we never evangelize because we're so scared that if we evangelize, we might lose the person. How are you going to justify that when you stand before (laughs) our Lord Jesus Christ on the day of our reckoning? Sorry, Lord, I was fearful. No, in no other environment would you get away with it. So why would you allow it when it comes to the things of the kingdom? We've got to rise up, We've got to move beyond the things that are holding us back, embrace who we are in God and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to operate and manifest in our lives. As a result of that, fresh courage, increased boldness and a greater sense of bravery will be attached to everything that you do and everything that you say for who you are in Christ. Which means we need to constantly examine how we evangelise. And you know, Paul makes it clear here, all things to all people. And he ultimately gives us the focus because we're not going to win the world by being like the world. The world is crying out for something different and we have the answer, but are we being the answer or do we just know about the answer in our lives? And so we cannot conform, we cannot compromise. And when you think about life today, information is available at your fingertips. So a lot of non-Christians already know a lot of the gospel but they want to know how it personally impacts them, how it personally can connect to them. That's why credibility is ultimately important, which means that as you fit amongst people without compromising, people will see your integrity. And it might take time, it might take moments, but in that moment, you're able to build the bridge, you're able to develop the trust, and then you are able to be a voice into that person's life. And it's in those moments you then get to reach them with the good news of the gospel. And so a concluding thought for us, fruitfulness in our friendship circles requires us to stay connected to God. If we use worldly strategies and adopt a worldly narrative to engage meaningfully with the lost, one thing is certain, we're going to have to continue to use those strategies to, to maintain their involvement and their interest. We cannot then introduce Christ, it's too late. They are likely to disengage. If we adopt the other approach, however, we're guaranteed that we can keep them. The word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ in their life. If they engage with that, we're guaranteed they're likely to stay the course with us. And so Paul makes it very clear. Why has he done all of this? For only one reason. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 9. I do it all. Everything, everything that Paul is striving for here is captured in one verse. For the sake of the gospel. So not his own self-interest, not to puff himself up, not to make his own ministry look good, for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share with them in the blessings, which means he just wants to be the bridge. He just wants to connect. He just wants to be some force of support and encouragement that will help connect these people to the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask the question again, for your own considerations, in your own friendship circles. Do they know that you're a believer? Do they believe what you say when you share scripture? Is there credibility? Is there integrity attached to what you say? Don't do it in your own strength, please. You can be an effective evangelist without standing on the street corner, just using the platform, the people groups, the colleagues the friends the family and build integrity you build credibility if you're honest sometimes i have conversations with my atheist friends and they ask me stuff from like the torah you know first five books of the bible and well, what does this mean and i just have to be honest with them i'm not quite sure i'm going to have to come back to you do you know what that says that says integrity i could hash something together in that moment that might paper over the fact i don't know exactly what that verse means And they would be happy there in that moment, but then weeks later, when they find out that really what I said wasn't entirely true, I've lost the credibility. And so it's not about having every answer to every question. It's about pointing them to the answer to every question. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen.